Day's coming up, right? So that'll be fun. Any Memorial Day plans? No work. Good. Very good. Well, tonight, um, the message started off a couple couple weeks ago, probably around a month ago. Um, John and uh, Christian came to me and asked me about, uh, about preaching on a Saturday night and so I started thinking about, well, what is it that I want to talk about? What is it that uh, the Lord would, would have me bring uh, to you all tonight? And uh, it started off as, as, as a simple dialogue on eternity, uh, the difference between eternity and like the temporal life, the temporary life that we live here and now. Um, and as I thought about it more and more, you know, the Lord just started working on me. You know, it went from that to another thing. And and finally, it's come out to uh, talking more about a contrast between the eternal and the temporary. Um, and we see in Scripture, as I've, as I've uh, thought about this and prayed about this and looked at it, we see in Scripture that God calls us to live above and beyond the temporary things of life. He, lives, he calls us to, to live be above and beyond the evil things of life, if you will. Um, have you ever heard of the phrase... In the world, but not of the world. Right? I think we've all heard that. It's kind of a common phrase in the church. Um, and that's kind of, I mean, you could probably boil th- everything down to that, that, that I want to talk about tonight. Um, everything boils down to being in the world, but not of the world. However, too many times we hear, okay, well, how do we do that? Let's, let's look into how to, how to do that. What boundaries can I put in place to make sure I'm not going to be living of the world? What boundaries can I be put can be put in place to help me stay focused on the eternal aspects of life, what the Lord would have for me. So too often we just focus on the how. And that's great. However, that's not what I'm going to focus on. Um, Instead of focusing so much on the how, I want to spend our time tonight focusing on the why. Why does it matter? Why are we focusing on the eternal aspects of life and not so much on the temporary and so, I mean, think about it. How many times have you wanted to do something and you just think to yourself, well, there's no reason for me to do it, therefore I'm not going to do it. Like, if you don't think that you need to do something, you're not going to do it because it doesn't matter. So why do we need to do this? Why do we need to focus on the eternal instead of the temporary things of life? And that's what I want to focus on tonight. Um, if you want to get ready, um, we're going to be in 1 John 2, 15 through 17. If you want to pick up one of the Bibles in front of you and see it in front of you, it's page 844, 2 John, uh, sorry, 1 John 2, 15 through 17. So let me pray for us as we uh, get into God's Word. <clears throat> Lord God, I thank you so much for bringing us here tonight and giving us just really a few moments to stop and focus our eyes on you. I pray that you would humble us, that you would take away the distractions that are keeping us from focusing on your word. Because, Lord, your word is ultimately um, one of the most important things that we could ever focus on. Because it reveals who you are, it reveals what you uh, would have for us, what you wish for us. Um, So I pray you'd give us humility and the focus to uh, 
focus all of our time, all of our attention, uh, and our energy on your word right now. I pray this in your name. Amen. So, 1 John. 1 John doesn't really need much introduction. It's written by um, the same John who wrote the Gospel of John. Um, and he's writing to a group of believers, and he says in 1 John, I'm not giving you anything new, but I'm reminding you of the things that you already know. So he's speaking to a group of believers who, for all, I mean, for our purposes, they have, it, they have things together. I mean, they're good people, they're living in a messed up world, and John is writing to say, hey, I want to remind you of some things, I want to encourage you. Sometimes you have writers like Paul, who's like, Basically, he's just bashing believers the whole time in a, in a certain church. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? You shouldn't be doing this. John's saying, hey, you're great people. I want to encourage you. I want to remind you that, like, the Lord loves you. Like, this is how you can know you're in a relationship with the Lord. He talks a lot about the difference between darkness and light. And it's just, it's a huge encouragement. Read it sometimes. It's really great. Um, so let's read First uh, John two fifteen through 17. Again, page 844 if you're reading in the the Bible that's in front of you. So he writes this. He says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. This is probably a passage that you are somewhat familiar with. Uh, It's one that I was pretty familiar with. Um, And it's pretty similar to some other things that that Scripture says um, about living in the world but not being of the world. Christ himself prays for the believers, Lord, I, I don't pray that you would take them out of the world, but I pray that you would keep them in it and that you would protect them in it. And it's the same kind of idea we have here. Like you are living in the world, but do not love the things of the world. Um, so let's, let's take a, a walkthrough of what he's talking about here um, and then apply it to us, to where we're living in, this, in our society today. Um, so he says, don't love the world or anything in the world. Your love, affection, and devotion is to be focused on one thing. It's not possible for all of your love, your affection, and your devotion to be focused on more than one thing. So, what is it going to be? You can either focus your love toward the world or toward the Father. The HCSB, the Holman Christian Standard uh, Bible translation, actually renders it in a way that I really like. Instead of saying... um, If you love the things of the world, the love of the Father is not in Him. It clarifies it by saying, if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in Him. So if you are devoting yourself, if you are loving the things of this world, which we talk about in a minute, looking at what what does it mean by that, if you are focusing all of your love and affection and devotion on the world, the love that should be given to the Father is not present. Because all of your energy, all of your love is focused toward the world, which is not of the Father, as we see. And the same idea is found when Jesus is talking in Matthew 6, 
He says, hey, you can't serve two masters. You're putting all your treasure on earth, he says. However, I'm calling you, take it and put all of your treasures in heaven where neither rust nor moth destroy. And then he says, you can't serve two masters. And he relates it to, you can't serve God and money. It's impossible. Because you have one master, and it's your choice whether you're going to submit to me or to the things of the world. So, we see that it, it's, no, it's no petty issue. We see the gravity of the situation again in James 4, where he says, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So it's no small issue when we devote ourselves to the things of the world. And we'll learn a little bit, a little bit more as we look at the three things he mentions in the next verse. But we have to understand, the first part when, we, when we're thinking about, well, why does any of this matter? It's because when you're devoted to the things of the world, you're literally setting yourself up against God. There's really no help for you at that point. Like, you don't want to be in that position. And we'll look at how that relates to us. We'll look at how that ties into the gospel. Um, but the, the fact is, when you are loving the world, you are setting yourself up against the purposes of God, against who God is, because those things are not of God. Those things are a perversion of what God has put in place. So let's keep going in verse 16 as we'll look at some of these things he mentions. He mentions three things um, as he explains the things of the world. And he says, um, as we saw, he says, For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So he lists these three things. And uh, as, as Christian mentioned, in two weeks, two weeks from this very day, I'll be heading to Las Vegas to work with a church plant for two months. And as I was preparing for this, I was reading through it, and I'm thinking... I can't think of a better illustration of these concepts than Las Vegas. So uh, that's just something I'm going to touch on as, as we continue to bring into the, the, the real world, if you will. Um, but let's look at the three things he mentions. He mentions, first of all, the cravings of sinful man. ESV renders it the lust of the flesh. Most of these are pretty straightforward. You know, I'm trying to dig into the, the Greek and figure out, oh, what does it mean here when he says the lust of the flesh? It's pretty straightforward. Anything that you're committing yourself to, to fulfill your own fleshly desires. That could be sex, that could be money, that could be food, that could be drugs. Anything that you are desiring and fulfilling that desire that goes against what God has said. So a lot of times when we think about it, we think of sex, because that's often what lust has to do with. Um, that's often what we connect it to, and that's certainly applicable. Um, we see that these are the pleasures that we desperately long for, the things that we want to fulfill in ourselves. Uh, he says the lust of his eyes. Also pretty simple. You see something, you want it. Maybe it's just a matter of not being content with what you have, seeing what someone else has, wanting what they have. Anything that you see and it's attractive, you want it and you pursue it because it's the lust of your eyes. Ecclesiastes says... That the eyes are never satisfied with seeing. So, 
you, you end up getting into this cycle where, well, I want this, I see this, this is what I want, David and Bathsheba, the timeless story that we've all heard, that's what I want, I'm going to go get it. However, you're never satisfied with that. You always want something more. Your eyes always find something that's more appealing. I mean, think of it in any context. Think of it in a marriage. The fact of the matter is, there's someone on this planet that's more attractive than your spouse in, by worldly standards, right? So you have to put up boundaries. You make a commitment to someone, and you say, I'm going to follow after this commitment. I'm going to commit myself to this person. Therefore, I'm not going to give in to all the desires that my eyes see, the lust of my eyes. So you can, you can apply it in all different areas, but the lust of the eyes is simply this matter of what is attractive to me? What is it that I see and that I want? And the last thing he mentions, and I don't know if it's fair to say it, I guess my favorite, um, just something that I see a ton of in our culture, uh, the boasting of what he has and does. Again, the USB says, the pride in one's lifestyle. How arrogant is it when someone stands up, they give a big presentation, and then they just say, thank you so much, that was all me, I'm so awesome. Like, you see people, there's a reason that we, we call someone arrogant when they're boasting in themselves. You don't look at a person that's boasting in themselves and say, man, they seem like a really humble person. Like, no, when you see someone who is clearly talented, clearly gifted, maybe it's a singer, maybe it's a speaker, um, whatever it might be, an artist, <coughs> and they perform, they put on their talents for everyone to see, everyone says, oh, that's so great. But then you see a difference in someone who says, you know what, Thank you so much. It's, it's not me. And, you know, we think of it a lot of times in the fact of, like, well, you know, God, it's, it's something God's doing in me. It, all credit goes to him. It, it's so much more attractive when you see someone who's humble and meek in themselves than when someone is simply boastful and arrogant and wants to bring all the attention to themselves. They don't care what other people have to say. It's their lifestyle. They love it. They're going to flaunt it. It's... There's a reason that that's not attractive to a lot of people, especially those of us who know the Lord, uh, those of us who are in the church. Um, so it's this idea of look at me, bringing attention to yourself, or even in, in religious circles. What did Jesus say to the person who stands on the street corner and announces their piousness, their piety? Like, look at me, I'm so humble. Like, we have our own convoluted, perverted way of doing it in the church. Look at me, I'm so wonderful, I'm so humble. Yes, that was a $5,000 check I just put in the offering. You, you saw that right. But hey, no, no credit. And then, then you stand up and say it extra loud. Yes, it was $5,000. Or, you know, we think of it, Jesus says, when you're fasting, don't make it look as if you are. You know, sometimes people have this idea, of, they walk around, they're, oh, I'm fasting. Like, they just... They want everyone else to see how pious they are. And so we have our own perverted way of doing it. However you look at it, which, whichever area you want to apply it in, we have this natural inclination to bring attention to ourselves, to try and claim things for ourselves, claim talents, claim accomplishments. Because, I mean, 
it feels pretty good when other people see you. And if no one is bringing the attention to you, you've got to bring it to yourself. That's the natural way of man. So these are the things that, that John is talking about. He's talking about these three areas that are worldly and that are natural for human beings. And he says, if you devote yourself, if you love these things, if you commit yourself to these things, you're setting yourself up against God. Setting yourself up as an enemy of God. And then he wraps it up in verse 17. So let's look at verse 17 again. He says, if I may insert, however, the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. So again, we see that we're left with a choice. We're left with a contrast between the temporary nature of the world and its desires and the eternity of God's glory and will, His purposes. Because you, you're left with a choice. I can either commit, commit myself to the things of the world or I can commit myself to the things that God is doing. And as we see, it's a thing that is enduring, that lasts. When you devote yourself to the things of the Lord, you live forever. There's a certain eternal aspect to it that is the opposite of how the worldly things pass away, as John says. So he leaves us with this choice. And we see in Ecclesiastes, again, Ecclesiastes is one of my favorite books. And I started off wanting to read the whole book in front of you, and that being it. But it's not as acceptable in church, I guess, for some reason. So Ecclesiastes 3.14, he says, Solomon's writing this. Um, he says, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. Everything that we do on this earth, as, a, as, um, as contrary to what God does, like God does things and they last forever. We do things and they don't last at all. Nothing we do lasts. Think about it. Everything that we do on this earth will pass away and will not be remembered. That's a huge part of what Solomon writes in Ecclesiastes. And some people read it and just, oh, this is so depressing. But when you read it, you realize, like, no, there's something to this. Everything that I do passes away. Everything that I commit myself to here on this earth, all these worldly pursuits, it all passes away. You want to have a bigger house? You want to have a nicer car? You want to have more sex? You want to do more drugs? You want to have more wives? You want to have as many girlfriends as you can? Whatever it might be, it all passes away. And Solomon says, well, what good is it? What good is it because it all passes away and no one remembers it? Everything that we do is not remembered. Think about it. How many of you all know your great-great-grandmother? I was a little worried. I was hoping that no one would. I mean, <coughs> think about it, though. So you, you have even, even a great-grandmother. How many of you all know your great-grandmother? Okay, so a little more. So, but, but think about it. Once you're dead, no one's going to remember your great-grandmother. It's nothing against people. It's nothing against us. But 
Think about, think about all the historical figures. Martin Luther King Jr., none of us know him personally. We know of things he did, but in a hundred years, whether Christ has come back or not, it's not going to matter. It's all done. It's all temporary. It all goes away. Even if someone remembers you, they're going to die. At some point, death comes along, the great equalizer, and none of us, none of us are remembered. Solom, uh, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, he says, Think about it. I, I don't see why it's fair that I would do all this work and then I would have no say as to whether the person after me does a good job with what I've given them. I do all this work. I hand it off to the next person. Who knows whether they're going to ruin it or not, but eventually it's all going to pass away anyway. So, man, like what an awful job the Lord has given us. Like what a, what a, a chasing after win, a vanity of vanities we've been given on this earth. The things that we commit ourselves to. Solomon tried all kinds of things. And in the end, it all passed away. So we're left with a decision as to whether we're going to commit ourselves to those things that are temporary and passing away. Or am I going to commit myself to the things that the Lord is doing. To His purposes. Living forever. So, I want to apply it. And as I told you, I want to focus more on the why, which I think we've done a little bit already. I want to focus not so much on the how, but more so on the why, and then tie it back around even just to my life. And, and the, the reason that I'm bringing up this next point, it, and I've thought about it, is every time that I've preached, every time I give a message, I think, man, how weird it is to have my family in the audience, because they know me at my worst, and they know me at my best. So I can stand up here in front of a group of people, and I can say, you need to do this because this is what the Lord calls you to do. And my sister sits there thinking, well, you haven't done that. Like, it's, it, it can be so hypocritical. And I've, as I've thought about this message tonight and this next stuff I want to talk to you about briefly, I mean, not one of us is a star when it comes to this stuff. The, the, the very things that we're talking about are the same things that I struggle with and the same things that you struggle with. We're all, we're all in the same boat. We're all going to pass away. We're all going to have this choice between the temporary worldly desires and those things that God has in store for us, those things that He is doing, His purposes, His will. So this is really difficult stuff to deal with. And why? Because we all have the propensity towards sinful behavior. We all have a propensity toward loving the world over loving the Father. It's a natural inclination that we all have. So it's not an easy thing to do. So, as I said before, and as Christian told you about, I'm heading to Las Vegas in two weeks. And the only reason I'm not excited about that is because everything we're talking about is time ten, times ten in Las Vegas. And I know myself, and I know that I have a natural inclination to choose the wrong thing. I have the natural inclination to choose the thing that's going to pass away, that's only going to be a temporary pleasure, instead of choosing those things that God has in store for me. There's a great book that I've been reading. Um, it's called Sex and Money. Uh, the guy's name is Paul David Tripp. He's an excellent pastor. Um, 
great, great godly man, and he wrote this book called Sex and Money. Subtitle is um, Pleasures That Leave You Feeling Empty and the Grace That Satisfies. I thought to myself, hey, sex and money, there's probably nothing better to read than this when I'm going to Las Vegas, Nevada. So I picked up this book, and I want to I share a quote with you that I think is extremely applicable. He says this, he says, It's only ever the evil inside us that magnetizes us toward and connects us to the evil that's outside of us. Since we are the problem, we really have a problem. Because we can sit here and talk about these desires. We can sit here and talk about sex. We can sit here and talk about eating too much, taking drugs, whatever it might be, the accumulation of wealth. None of those things are wrong in and of themselves. Notice that John didn't say, John didn't say the things that are of the world, sex, money, drugs, wrong teaching. Like He didn't say, he didn't name specific things. What he named was the act of loving them. The lust for these things. The boasting in these things. It's what we do that messes us up. Because we have this natural inclination toward sinfulness. Think about what Christ says in Matthew 15, 18, and 19. This is something that I never really caught on to. It never really made sense to me until actually looking at this. He says, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. It's not the things themselves, but it's humankind's propensity to love and devote themselves to those things. We are naturally messed up. And that's why it's not easy to read a command that says, do not love the world, or you're going to be an enemy of God. And why is it difficult to read that? Because so many times we do that. It's not comfortable to read scripture that says, hey, don't do the things you're doing because you're setting yourself up for disaster. Notice uh, again, he doesn't, he doesn't tell us that it's the things that are wrong. He tells us that it's us. And too many times we forget that before we go and give ourselves to certain things, our heart is ten steps ahead of us. As soon as we allow our hearts to be given over to things, the rest of us is not, is not long to follow. You see, what happens is we end up worshiping the creature rather than the creator, as Paul says in Romans. We look to the created things to give us what only the creator can give us. That's the problem we have. So then what am I supposed to do about that? And that's the big question. Well, and this is kind of where I told you the gospel ties in. And I wanted to end with another quote by Paul David Tripp from this book. And it's probably my favorite quote thus far uh, because it's, it's pretty rough because it goes against what we naturally think. God did not give you His grace to make your little kingdom successful. 
but to welcome you to a much bigger and much better kingdom. Too many times we think, I have this grace, this is so wonderful, Lord. Now I can go on and start making good choices, and I can be a good person, and I can impress people. And then I can fulfill the lust of my flesh, the lust of my eyes, and pridefulness in a way that looks humble, in a way that looks God-honoring. I can figure out how to handle myself in a way so that I'll be more successful, in a way that I'll accumulate more wealth, and I can have an excuse now for the things that I do wrong. When in reality, it's completely opposite. God didn't give you His grace so that you could be successful. God gave you His grace so that His purposes would be fulfilled. So don't love the world. Love God, because when you fulfill His purposes, you'll be so much more joyous. You'll be so much more fulfilled. You'll have such a fuller life. So when people ask me, why are you going to Vegas? And I tell them, I'm going because I realize that my life and every Christian's life is designed to be much more than being happy and chasing the American dream. Because I'm called to be devoted to, be devoted to what God is doing. Not to invite God into what I am doing. So don't love the world, because the world is passing away. And all the things that we try to do, all the things that we invite the Lord into, God's saying, well, you know, that's nice, that sounds really great, but that's all going to pass away. It's all going to pass away. And he says, I actually already have a plan that's going to be fulfilled so you can either go ahead and try and fulfill your own little plan, which, by the way, is going to fail. Or you can join me in the plan that I've already put in place from the very beginning of the world. So, I'll say it again, what his uh, quote said. God did not give you his grace to make your little kingdom successful. but to invite you into a much bigger and much better, lasting, enduring kingdom. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray that you would uh, humble our hearts tonight. God, I pray that you would wreck our plans. God, I pray that we would not get so caught up in our plans that we forget what you're doing. Lord, I pray that we would not get caught up in, in the legalistic way of trying to fix things ourselves. I pray that you would destroy any notion that says we're okay on our own. God, I pray that you would help us to realize that we are fallen. We have the natural inclination to do things that are against what you've called us to do. God, I pray you'd help us to realize that, that we might run to you and not away from you. Give us the grace tonight to uh, be focused on you, what you're doing, what you have for us. I thank you for your son that, that enables us to even sit here and talk about this. 
God, I pray that as our nation um, descends further and further into paganism, really, that we would not get so caught up with the issues, but that we, as your ambassadors, would choose to focus on the issue underneath. People don't know you. You desire that they would. So I pray that we would be your ambassadors, that everything we say, everything we do would be of eternal significance. Lord, it's in your name we pray.